We're going to read Revelation chapter 19 this morning. Um, And as you're flipping there, we'll be beginning at verse 11 in Revelation chapter 19. I saw uh, Billy Graham give a talk this week. He actually gave the talk back near 2000, but it was for something called TED Talks. Has anyone ever heard of this? TED Talks? T-E-D, I think it's Technology Entertainment. What would that, what would the D be? I can't remember what the D is. But they have these talks, and they're anywhere from 10 minutes to an hour and 10 minutes. Different people, um, their tagline is, ideas worth spreading. It's always interesting. I get a podcast on my iPod, that's how I found it. Um, And it's people from all different fields. This one was taking place at a conference for technology professionals. These were the brightest, the young, the cutting edge guys, back in 2000 anyway, um, with technology. And they brought Billy Graham in to speak to them, which was odd. And Billy Graham recognized that it was odd. And uh, he talked to them. Billy Graham always gets to the gospel. That's what he does. That's been his thing for you know, 350 years or however long he's been going at it. And he was talking to them, and, and the, the main thing I remember that I want to share with you, he said, technology is great. We've gotten a lot accomplished. You know, we've built upon all, this, all these discoveries, all these brilliant ideas, and we've come this far, but there's certain things that technology just has not helped with at all. And he listed out many of them. And one of them was the fact that we still have war. Why do we still kill each other? In war, I mean, we have better means of communicating now, technologically speaking, than ever before. We have infinite knowledge at our fingertips, you know, through the internet. We're so advanced. But, but individually and, and globally, we still just war with ourselves and each other. I mean, why do we still have Americans out on the battlefields dying, even this morning? I mean, you have, surely we have advanced to a place as a civilization to where that's unnecessary. Do you think we ever will? Why, why, why do we still have these tensions between nations until they erupt and we have to go and shoot at each other until we resolve it? It's a very simplistic understanding of war, I know. All those numbers I've read at the beginning of, of people who have died, Americans who have died in battle, it's heroic. It's, it's in, inherently heroic. To go and die in battle for, to sacrifice your life for your family, your country, for your cause. And I, you know, I honor them and I do recognize their, how heroic it is, the sacrifices that have been made. But the fact is, their sacrifice, their heroism can only bring about so much. Can only do so much. Can only go so far to bring about peace for so long. We need a greater hero. We need something greater, someone greater. And not surprisingly, I'm going to argue that that greater hero is Jesus Christ. Who in here saw Saving Private Ryan? Okay, lots of people saw it. It's a very important movie, and it's a good movie. Um, Make sure the kids are not in the room when you watch it. Um, But who remembers the last thing that Tom Hanks said to Matt Damon? I don't remember their character names. Okay, some people do. If I'm, if I'm not mistaken, he said, earn this, right? The, the story of saving Private Ryan is they send this, this, this brigade of men to go and save the life of one man, Private Ryan. 
because all of his brothers have died and his mother is grief stricken and the president has noticed and he wants to bring Private Ryan home. And so this, this group of men, soldiers, go to find Private Ryan and many of them die in the process. Tom Hanks is the leader of this group and at the end he's dying. I'm giving away, I'm sorry if you haven't seen this, I'm totally giving away the ending. It's an old movie though, it's not my fault if you haven't seen it yet. And he's dying, and Private Ryan, played by Matt Damon, is, is sitting there watching Tom Hanks die for him. And Tom Hanks looks at him and says, earn this. And then at the end of the movie, you see old Matt Damon just weeping, looking at his wife saying, tell me I'm, I'm a good man. Basically saying, tell me I've earned it. And she reassures him, you know, you're a great guy, you've earned it, sure. You know, that, that story is a great story. You know, it's, it's heroic what Tom Hanks character did but we have a greater hero who as he died he didn't say earn this he said it is finished he didn't put that burden on us as recipients of his sacrifice to earn it he said I've earned this for you it's finished Jesus is the greater hero our our hearts leap at these stories about war heroes and that's good it's right because our hearts are programmed to want to worship the great hero. All those are just echoes of the true hero of history, Jesus Christ. These men who have died and who really are heroic, they died for their comrades, their country, their friends, their family. Who did Jesus die for? The greater hero died for his enemies. While we were yet sinners, he died for us. And the last thing I'll mention about this, these men and women that we honor on Memorial Day, we do so by placing flowers on their graves. And as heroic as they are and as worthy of being remembered as they are, they are there in their graves. But what about Jesus, the the greater hero that, that all these heroes point to? He's not there. He rose again. And he's coming back. And that's what we're going to look at this morning. Jesus is coming back. And um, this is something that I have yet to preach on here, even though we are Advent Christians. And this is our big focus. Um, Revelation is a scary book to me. I, I just, I've never felt like I understood what was going on. I don't know that I do this morning either. But we're going to read this passage and by God's grace, we'll understand something of Jesus' return. Um, I'm going to do something we don't do often. If you'll stand in honor of the reading of God's word. And we'll be reading from Revelation chapter 19, verses 11 through 16. John writes, And I saw heaven opened, and behold, a white horse, and he who sat on it is called Faithful and True, and in righteousness he judges and wages war. His eyes are a flame of fire, and on his head are many diadems, and he has a name written on him which no one knows except himself. He is clothed with a robe dipped in blood, and his name is called the Word of God. And the armies which are in heaven, clothed in fine linen, white and clean, were following him on white horses. From his mouth comes a sharp sword, so that with it he may strike down the nations, and he will rule them with a rod of iron. And he treads the winepress of the fierce wrath of God the Almighty. And on his robe and on his thigh he has a name written. King of kings and Lord of lords. Thank you. You can be seated. 
don't know if you ever wonder what Jesus looked like. I know Time Magazine did this big study to try to figure out what an average male of his age would have looked like where he came from. And it was just a very unimpressive face, which is fitting. Scripture says that there's really nothing about him when he was on earth that would make you gravitate toward him. He wasn't just this beautiful specimen. He was just a guy. He was a normal guy. Here we're presented with a, a different vision of him when he returns. Now you have to remember Revelation is it's a vision and it's highly symbolic, which is one of the reasons why I, I struggle so much to feel like I have a grasp of it. But it's highly symbolic. So I don't think that when it says that he has eyes of fire, that that necessarily means when we see him and he returns that we're going to see flame shooting from his eye sockets. I don't know that that's what it means. I don't know that he's going to have a ton of crowns on his head. I don't even know how he can wear more than one crown at a time. The language is symbolic, but there's deep meaning here. So let's just sort of gaze at Jesus, the greater hero, for a minute through this scripture, through this passage. It says in verse 12, his eyes are a flame of fire. I may have shared this story with you. Um, I used to play tennis a lot, so much so that I would, I would go during the summer to my high school tennis court and just hit serves. I'd have a bucket of tennis balls, and I would just hit serve after serve after serve. That sounded like a great time. One Saturday I went, or not Saturday, someday during the week, it was extremely hot. And I'm walking to the court, I've got my water jug and my, my tennis racket, and straight ahead of me, a ways away, are the vending machines. They were outside. Um, and one of them was one of those snack vending machines with the clear plastic front. You see all the snacks in there. I noticed something strange going on with that, that clear plastic uh, front. I couldn't quite tell what it was, so I walked closer and there was smoke coming from it. And as I got closer, there was fire eating a hole in the middle of the vending machine display thingamajig. And the hole was getting bigger and smoke was rising. There were actual flames there. I, to this day, I have no idea what in the world was going on with that. I don't know if there were some kids like trying to burn their way in there to get some snacks, and they saw me come up. I was surely very intimidating with my tennis racket and my tennis whites on, and they ran off. I don't know, but the fire was just eating it away. And I just tell you that stupid little story. I think that's what fire does biblically. It, it eats away. It eats away at what we our pretense, at what we put up in front of us. Jesus has, has eyes of fire when John sees him returning. You know, when God looks at you, he sees the heart. He, he doesn't see, you know, my nice stripy tie and, and the fact I'm not wearing a suit today. It's not what he's thinking about. He sees the heart. And when Jesus returns, we're going to be face to face with the man with fire eyes, the man who sees. You know, all I see of you is what you want me to see. Jesus, just, just the, the act of Jesus looking at you burns away through the pretense. He sees down to the core of your, your reality, your heart. And when he comes back, I think that's going to be somewhat terrifying. Because it, it won't matter if people are, are hunkered down just wishing that mountains would fall on top of them so they can hide. Jesus, just through the act of looking at you, is qualified to judge. To judge your heart because he sees with perfection. He's got flaming eyes of fire. It says his eyes are a flame of fire and on his head are many diadems. Diadems are crowns. 
And he has many of them. I think this just means, very simply, he is the king. He is the, the right and the true authority. When he comes back, I don't think there's going to be any doubt about his lordship. We're just going to see him and every knee's going to bow and we're all going to know he is Lord. I think the most surprising thing about it is going to be it was never our choice to make him Lord of our lives. He always was Lord. It was our choice if we were going to submit to it and rejoice in it or if we were going to rebel from it. But when he returns, it'll be clear. The Lord has come. Lord of, of, of all nations. What about the bloody robe? Does, that, does the sight of blood in the Bible ever just make you guys recoil? Especially associated with Jesus. There in verse 13, he is clothed with a robe dipped in blood. And his name is called the Word of God. We like to think of Jesus as the sweet little baby cuddling up beside a sheep in a manger. And when we studied through Joshua, if you remember, our God is a God with, with blood on his hands. I mean, it, blood is shed. Judgment is real. A lot of men have a problem following Jesus and being Christians because it all seems so feminine and so powder puff and just so light. But if you look at the, the picture that Jesus is going to return, he's, he's covered in blood. Because the stakes are real. The stakes are high. The judgment is going to be real. Uh, I had some passages I was going to share, but I, I don't think I will. But there's one earlier in Revelation that talks about when Jesus judges. And it says that the blood will flow to the height of a horse's bridle. Now we don't see horses a lot, but that's the thing in the horse's mouth. Again, that's symbolic language, but it means something. It means that many people will be judged when he returns. Eyes of fire, crowned head, bloody robe. Verse 14, the armies which are in heaven, clothed in fine linen, white and clean, were following him on a white horse. So he's flanked and followed by, by armies. And then probably my favorite image of all in here, verse 15. From his mouth comes a sharp sword, so that with it he may strike down the nations. Now if, you're, if you've been trying to picture Jesus and you're thinking that this is a literal Thing. Can you picture him with a big sword coming out of his mouth? He's fighting people off with it. Clearly this isn't literal language. What do you think that sword represents? It's coming out of his mouth. Yeah, it's his word. It, just the word that he speaks is like, is sword-like. It, it's the only weapon mentioned in here. Even when they mention all those armies. I mean, maybe they have weapons and they just, he just didn't mention it. But I think maybe that's the only weapon that he needs when he comes. All he needs are his eyes to know who will be protected and who will experience wrath. All he needs is his words to destroy, to subdue nations. How did God create everything in Genesis 1? He spoke it. He said, let it be. Bam, there it was. And when Jesus comes back, how is he going to judge He's just going to speak it. And that's how powerful his word is. I mean, we have this. We have our Bibles. We have several copies per house. And we can ignore it this afternoon. We can ignore it this week. But we will not be able to ignore it on that day when he returns. There will be no ignoring it. 
From his mouth comes a sharp sword so that with it he may strike down the nations. So that's kind of what he looks like. Interestingly in here, they also talk, John talks quite a bit about his identity, who he is, his names. We know him as Jesus. That was as common as Bob back then when he was on earth. But when you read Revelation, he's got a billion different names in Revelation. And each name reflects some facet of, of his glory, of who he is. It's like turning a diamond and, and you know, just sparkles and you see the light shooting through in different ways. You, you read Revelation and it's just like holding Jesus up and you just see, you just see him for who he really is. There's six different names for him just in these six verses alone. And Revelation has a lot more. They call him the Amen, the, the True One, all, all kinds of different things. And here in this passage, he's called, in verse 11, He who sat on, on this horse on it is called Faithful and True. Faithful there just kind of means reliable. He, he, he is what he says he is. He will do what he says he will do. True, these, these are his names. These are, these are what he's called. In a world where nobody's really reliable and you're never really sure if you're getting the truth, Jesus is the reliable one. He's the truth. The true one. I like in verse 12, we've gotten a, a billion names for Jesus in Revelation. Then in verse 12, here's a little more. His eyes are a flame of fire and on his head are many diadems and he has a name written on him which no one knows except himself. We know so much. About Jesus, but there's this name that we don't know. And I don't know what that's referring to, I'll just be honest with you. But I think at the very least we can conclude that we don't know at all about Jesus. Some people get so bored with church, they're like, oh, I've heard the Christmas story, the Easter story a hundred times. I don't need to learn anymore at all. I know it. I know Jesus. You don't. You you have a little bit that God has revealed to us. And I guarantee we really probably don't even know probably 5% of what's been revealed to us that we have. And then there's more that we, know, we don't know. What do you think is going to happen when we get to heaven as far as knowledge goes? I wonder if you, some of you are like me and I kind of envision that I'll get into heaven and I'll, you know, I'll walk through the, the big pearly gates and the angels flapping their wings and their diapers are fluttering around. And God gives me this little flash drive and I put it into the USB port on my new heavenly body. And downloads everything there is to know about history, about myself, about God, the Bible. I just know it all. And then I guess I get my harp and I turn into a baby and I start strumming it. You know, these cartoon images of what heaven is. I don't think, I, I don't think that's how it is. I think in all of eternity, I don't think we'll ever know all there is to know about God and Jesus. I think eternity will be an infinite time period of just learning more and just gazing at, at God. In, in all his three persons, in, in Christ and the Holy Spirit, I think it's going to blow our minds. So real quick, what else is he called in here? Verse 13, he's clothed with a robe dipped in blood, and his name is called the Word of God. He, he is the Word of God. This is really hard to get our minds around. How can a man be Word? And I don't know that I have it totally clear in my mind still. But I think it means, basically, he is God's declaration to the world. He is the clearest communication of God to us. Uh, in Hebrews, it says he's the exact representation. 
think I wrote it somewhere, so I wouldn't misquote it. Uh, maybe I didn't. But he's the, the exact representation, basically, of God's nature. Some, so many of us, and maybe you, have found yourself in a place where it's just really hard, and it's really confusing, and you don't know what you should do, or you don't know why this has happened to you, and maybe it's a family thing, or a career thing, or just an emotional thing you don't even understand, and you just wish, God, I wish you would just speak to me. You wish you would just pull up a chair and sit across from the table with a cup of coffee and just talk to you. And he never does that. But all the while, when your heart is yearning, God, just speak to me. His heart is yearning, saying, I have. I have in the person of Jesus Christ. How awesome is it that God doesn't communicate with us via email, but via a person? His son, Jesus Christ. If you're in that spot right now and you're just wishing, God, I wish you would just speak to me. Look to Jesus. And it's hard to think about him as being God's communication to you, his word to you. But he is, just trust me, look in here to Jesus. That is God's word to you. It's, it's all about Jesus. He is the word of God. And then finally here in the, in the last verse, and on his robe and on his thigh he has a name written, written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. Any authority you can think of. God is their higher authority. President Obama, your boss, I don't know, whoever comes to your mind. When Christ returns, it'll be clear that he all along was the highest authority. It's like if you've ever been, when you're young, maybe you're a younger sibling, and your mom and dad leave, and they leave you with your older sibling, and unfortunately for you, they are the babysitter, they are the authority while they're gone. Has this happened to any of you? happened to me. I was a younger sibling. A couple of you. It's kind of a terrifying place to be in because for whatever reason your parents have endowed this person with authority and you have to, you're supposed to listen to them. My brother's five years older than me and he was never mean to me but his judgment was not always the best or the clearest or the wisest. And he was one of those guys that would be on the porch when no one was home but me and him with a paper towel on fire and a can of spray paint trying to make a blowtorch. I wouldn't have told you that if there were kids in here because it's so stupid. But when the parents return home, it's immediate. The transfer of power is immediate, isn't it? As soon as the parents get home, my brother did not try to tell them what to do anymore. He definitely didn't feel free to blow a torch or paper towel on our front porch, which is flanked by trees. When Christ returns, the transfer of authority will be immediate. All kings, all powers and authorities, everybody along with, with us, just the lowly normal people, the knees will, will bow. The king will be back. Now before I move on, I, I recognize how hard it is to think of this as a reality, as this will happen. I think part of the reason why is that we have this, this highly symbolic language here. And it's just, I don't know, it's hard to feel the, the reality of this as possibly happening very, very soon. So I just, I don't know what to do about that other than to just pray that the Holy Spirit would, would open our hearts, new compartments to be able to love the reality of this and to accept and understand it. But when he comes back, he comes back for a purpose. And this is the, the advent that we don't talk about as much. You know, the first advent is so nice. You know, the little baby in the manger, you just want to cuddle him. 
Second Advent, there's not much cuddling going on. And so we don't talk about it as much. In verse 15, the reason he's coming back. From his mouth comes a sharp sword, so that with it he may strike down the nations, and he will rule them with a rod of iron. And he treads the winepress of the fierce wrath of God, the Almighty. There's a sense in which he's coming back with a rod of iron. And I have to envision like a shepherd, he'll use that rod to protect his sheep. And he'll use that rod to destroy his enemies. The fierce, listen to that language. He treads the winepress of the fierce wrath of God. Treading the winepress, you probably know it most clearly from the episode of I Love Lucy where she's in the grapes stomping and hilarity ensues. That's... Judgment is like treading the wine press. I mean, I mean, just that image of, of grapes just bursting. I mean, in some way, people just bursting under the fierce wrath of God. And I know that's not palatable. I mean, that's not sweet and cozy like Christmas. But it's the reality of our situation. I mean, he'll return. And with him is coming the fierce wrath of God. Now, it's important to know who is going to experience this wrath. Am I going to experience this wrath? Are you going to experience this wrath? And I'm going to flip to another passage here that speaks kind of clearly to this. And don't flip there. Just listen to God's word in 2 Thessalonians chapter 1. I'll just start in verse 6 here. Uh, The writer says, For after all, it's only just for God to repay with affliction those who afflicted you and to give relief to you who are afflicted and to us as well. And here's the meaty part. When the Lord Jesus, when the Lord, when the Lord Jesus will be revealed from heaven with his mighty angels in flaming fire, the same scene we've been talking about, dealing out retribution to those who do not know God and to those who do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus. The ones who will receive the retribution, the wrath, is these people. Those who do not know God and those who do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus. Those who don't know God and those who don't obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus. We don't think of the gospel as something to obey usually, do we? We think of it as this gift and it's just all joy and all all wonderful. And it is a gift and it is joyful and wonderful. But there's something to be obeyed there. I think we embrace Christ as our Savior much more easily than we embrace Him as our Lord. A big component of the gospel is recognizing that He is Lord. A big component of it is obeying the gospel, is, is just giving it all. Giving it all to the gospel. Rearranging your whole life so that you're under a new authority structure with Christ as your King. So when He comes back, you're already in the kingdom. You've already been living in light of the fact that he is the authority. You're that younger sibling. You've already decided to go in and stop blowtorching paper towels. You've already recognized that the authority is coming. But not everybody's going to be in that boat. Some people don't know God. Some people have not obeyed the gospel. Some people have never heard the gospel. Some people have heard it, rejected it. Some people have heard it, embraced it, but only nominally, only 
in the sense that they'll, they'll identify themselves as Christians, but not rearrange their entire lives to be Christians, to be Christ-following, Christ-devoted people. And I don't know where each of you are at in this, because, like I said earlier, I don't have fiery eyes. I can't see into your hearts. I just see what you want me to see. You know, I see some fruit in some of your lives, and I see what you do and how you speak and how you carry yourselves, and I can, I can infer things, you know, but I don't really know. Only God really knows. And uh, I just hope we'll use this opportunity. I hope you know where you stand here. You've got to deal with this. You've got to think through this. Because if Christ did return this afternoon, and those fiery eyes were looking at into your soul. How would it go for you? Now, I'm not one for scary sermon altar call, like the one-two punch of preaching. I want the Holy Spirit to work in your hearts. I want the Holy Spirit to reveal to you where you are. I want you to know that I'm always around. To talk you through anything you need to, to be talked through. To any questions you have. Uh, I want you to be praying through this this afternoon. And, and during our last song. And it's Memorial Day. And you may have cookouts and barbecues. You may actually be going to a cemetery. Maybe you have relatives that have died in battle. It's good to honor them. But let the, the memories of them. And, and the honor we give to them. Let your ears follow those echoes. Back to the real the true hero, Jesus Christ. Let it remind you that he's real, that his sacrifice is the most glorious one ever, that it could mean everything for you, and that he's coming back. So the way I want to close, I just want you to close your eyes so you can hear God's word. And I'm just going to read this passage again, and then we're going to sing, um, and we'll, we'll go on into our day. But just close your eyes and just listen and try to envision this. Now I pray that the Holy Spirit speaks through God's word to each of us. And I saw heaven opened. And behold, a white horse. And he who sat on it is called faithful and true. And in righteousness he judges and wages war. His eyes are a flame of fire. And on his head are many diadems. And he has a name written on him which no one knows except himself. He is clothed in a robe dipped in blood, and his name is called the Word of God. And the armies which are in heaven, clothed in fine linen, white and clean, were following him on white horses. From his mouth comes a sharp sword, so that with it he may strike down the nations, and he will rule them with a rod of iron. And he treads the winepress of the fierce wrath of God the Almighty. And on his robe and on his thigh he has a name written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. Father, I pray right now that you would search our hearts. Uh, Lord, may we all orient our hearts and our lives right now in such a way that that we may be part of Christ's kingdom now before he comes back, that, that we could joyfully submit our lives to him, embracing him and accepting him as our only hope for salvation, and just giving it all to Christ in submission. 
to obey how he has revealed in, in your word, to enjoy all the fruit of that. And so that when he returns, it will be a glorious day. Lord, may it, may it not be true that we experience your wrath because we haven't heard and we didn't understand what was coming. I pray that your Holy Spirit would bring about understanding. And Lord, I love these folks and, and I know that you do too. And I pray just your blessings over them and, and I pray that, that we would all be in Christ's kingdom. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.